0: Hey church, uh, welcome to the Midweek Connection for Wednesday, August 9th, 2023. My name is Brett Risley and I'm the Associate Pastor of Discipleship here at the Mission Church. We're gonna have a few announcements for you today and then our spiritual focus is going to be um, around the idea of a biblical worldview and why that matters not only for families on mission but also for every believer in the life of the local church. So thanks for tuning in today, let's jump in. So for our announcements today, I've got a couple of things to remind you of. First of all, this past Sunday we have officially started using the overflow room that is located in the youth room in the northeast corner of our building. And again, we're We're trying to do that as a test to kind of see what the month of August looks like. We anticipate continued growth uh, when our fall ministry kicks off in September. And uh, we're trying to see if the overflow room is a good place to do that. Um, We think so far it's going well, but if you have any feedback for us, please let us know. Um, but we just want to continue to remind you that if you come a little bit late or you prefer to be in the overflow room, that's going to be back in the youth room. We're not going to be utilizing the the cafe anymore for that. Uh, we will not have the services on the cafe TVs anymore, um, So head on back to the Youth Room for the Overflow Room. And one thing to keep in mind, if you are a volunteer or you're looking to volunteer in the area of tech ministry, uh, we're even potentially looking for volunteers that could help us manage some of the technology back there, which is actually quite simple. Um, But we do need someone um, that would be willing to do that. So if you have an interest in the tech ministry, contact Dale York at the email on your screen, and he would love to walk you through what that might look like. Um, And so... That's a little bit of uh, kind of an update about the Overflow Room. And uh, again, each month we're going to have a couple back there um, that's going to help you, pray for you. Um, and so this whole month, it's going to be Adam and J.C. Fasalius. And so if you need anything, feel free to contact them while you're there, and they'll be happy to serve you. The second announcement for this week is going to be about the Global Outreach Dinner. Um, just a reminder that that's happening on Saturday, August 12th at 6 p.m., here at TMC, to meet and to fellowship with Pablo and Rosa Gallego. Uh, They've been ministering in Spain for over 23 years, uh, sharing the gospel, reaching the lost, and ministering in that context. Um, So please RSVP um, for that dinner so we can make arrangements accordingly. Number three, uh, we want to remind you that coming next Sunday, August 20th and August 27th, we're having our ministry fair. Now, I know that you've done this in years past, uh, but this year um, we're trying to put that out there to help everyone at TMC um, see what ministries we offer, uh, how you can serve, how you can connect, and how you can grow or even be equipped. And so we're going to have the five primary areas of our ministry set up to have tables. Um, we're not going to be able to have every ministry that we have here at the church out on these Sundays, but just the kind of the main areas. So we're going to have adult ministry, youth ministry, children's ministry, hospitality and guest services, and then worship and tech ministry. Those will be the five areas. If you are interested in any of those areas at all, whether it's connecting, whether it's finding a place to serve, or whether it's getting equipped in some way, August 20th and 27th is going to be a great opportunity for you to learn more. So what does that look like? Well, we're going to end our service early on those two Sundays. We're going to end our service, or at least try our best, to end the service at 11 a.m. And we're going to end it early so that parents, if you have kids that are in kids ministry, you will have at least 20 minutes without kids to go check out the cafe, to walk around and see the different tables, to to talk to people at these tables, to get information, and then by 1120, we need you to go pick up your kids. And then for anyone else that is not interested in that, we want to encourage you to stay in the worship center and to fellowship and to mingle and to connect with people there. So if you're already plugged in, you're good to go, that's great, stay in the worship center, and then everyone else. Go to the cafe, mingle, find a place to serve, connect, or get equipped to get some more information. So we're just hoping that this is a helpful on-ramp because, again, we want to encourage all of you to not only be following Jesus, but to be transformed by Jesus and joining Jesus in his mission. And so part of the life of the church is not just showing up on Sundays. It's serving. It's giving. It's getting trained. It's growing. It's digging deeper into your faith. It might even be getting help or some counsel in some areas, whatever it looks like. We just want to help you take your next step. And that's really what the ministry fair is all about, is your next step. And we all have a different one, but I hope that you will be ready to engage in those next steps on those two Sundays. So come prepared for that. We're excited about that. And we hope that we will see a lot of engagement on those two Sundays. Lastly, every year we have um, probably one of the most exciting meetings of the year. It's our annual budget meeting. Now, I know most likely some of you hear that and you might even roll your eyes and go, man, a budget meeting. Wow, that doesn't really sound very exciting, Brett. And I I get that. However, I wanna encourage you to attend. Uh, Everyone is invited, the entire church is invited. Um, Childcare is provided for all ages and you don't even have to register. So if you're wondering about what does this look like at TMC, maybe you're new to TMC and you've never gone to a budget meeting here before, you should come because it's helpful for you to see The process of how we try to structure our governance, our policies, the budget. We vote on the budget. Um, And so I want to encourage you to come. You're going to hear updates from our elders, our deacons, and Pastor Mike, who's going to share kind of a special state of our church report, some of our financial goals for the future and some few, a few other updates that you, I think, will find important. And so it's not really as boring as you might think it will be. It's actually very helpful. It is a very important part of our church life as a family. I know that me and my wife have a budget meeting, uh, at least we try to, every week. And that may not be very exciting at times, but it's actually very important for us to stay on the same page, to talk about our goals, and to make sure that we're moving in the right direction and we need to make any course corrections along the way. And so again, everyone's invited, but when it comes time to vote on the next year's fiscal budget, only TMC members are allowed to actually vote. So again, you can be in attendance, you can listen to everything, but if you're not a member, you won't be able to vote. But you'll still be able to hear everything, and I'd still encourage you to come. So it'll be a good time. I'll be there. Uh, Our leadership will be there. So please make plans to come and to learn about the process, to hear what God's doing. We are a very blessed church in a very blessed situation in the midst of a world where not every church is, in, is, is blessed in some of the ways that we are. And we want to do our best to steward what we have really well to have a big kingdom impact in our church and in our community and around the world. And so come and hear about what that looks like. And uh, we look forward to seeing you there. So uh, those are the announcements for right now. And I hope that that's been helpful to you. Again, if you're not getting some of the emails, keep checking. We send an email every Friday that's got most of that information. And uh, we hope that you're staying informed and engaged along the way. So with that said, let's turn our attention now to the spiritual focus. So for our spiritual focus today, um, I had a lot of ideas. And as we've just come out of a series, we're still in this series, and we've just come out of a sermon on the right priorities and focusing on faithfulness to God, faithfulness to spouse, and faithfulness to our children, I was also thinking of what are some other priorities that would be helpful. And I think one of them that we maybe don't think about as often is the idea of having a Christian or a biblical worldview. And so let's begin by defining some of these terms What is a worldview? Well, a worldview is simply, it can be defined a lot of different ways, but a worldview is simply the way that you see the world and understand your place in it. Um, Think of it like a pair of glasses, right? The glasses. I don't look at glasses. I look through them. Um, in order to see clearly what's in front of me, right? In the, in the same way, you and I, every single person on the face of the planet, has a worldview. We have a way through which we see the world. And so you don't look at a worldview, you look through a worldview. And, it, and whatever your worldview is, it either brings reality into focus or it blurs reality. And so for the Christian, we must be intentional to, to strive to cultivate a biblical worldview, which essentially is the ability to look at everything in life through the lens of Scripture, to look at everything in life through the lens of Scripture and the truth of the Bible. Um, and because the reality is when you read God's Word, when you're reading this book, you come to understand that, that Christianity is a complete vision of, of reality, let me say that again. Christianity is a complete vision of reality, and what do I mean by that? Well, people who are much smarter than me, uh, philosophers and uh, scholars, um, have kind of come up with some of the biggest pieces of this framework of what it means to make up a world view. And the five pieces of the worldview that, that I think Christianity answers better than any other worldview have to do with origin, meaning, morality, identity, and destiny. And so let me walk through some of these things and, and, and articulate a little bit about what a little bit of what the Christian perspective is on what I think are the most important questions that all humans are asking. Right? Everyone is asking this question when it comes to origin. Origin, where did we come from? Like, wh- where did we come from? And obviously the Bible speaks very clearly that we were created by God in the image of God we we learn actually to be more specific than that we were actually created by jesus that jesus is the author and the perfecter of life we read about that in john 1 we read about that in colossians 1 and we know that when we read genesis 1 in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth we actually come to learn that that is actually jesus in john 1 being referred to as the logos um the word uh, it was there in the beginning with god the word was god and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, And so we know that Jesus is actually the creator and the sustainer of all things. He's the author of life. And we were also made in the image of God, male and female, God created them. And so the origin of humanity, um, we didn't just evolve, right? So that's a worldview reality. We didn't just evolve from goo into a uh, some kind of species which became an ape which became a human as it evolved over time that's not what what actually happened we didn't just appear out of a random explosion of mass and particles and now we exist as intelligent beings that can create and speak and do all sorts of things it's not just random like Richard Dawkins or Stephen Hawkins and others have proposed that we just are happenstance matter in the universe Um, just floating around and and coming together. So origin, a lot of people are asking that question in our world today. A lot of people are confused about origin today. Where did we come from? And the Bible, I think, gives the best, most logical, and most true uh, answer for that. We were created by God in his image to be his image bearers. And that leads us to the second big piece of the worldview framework is meaning. The meaning. Why are we here? Like, what is our purpose in life? And again, this is so important because think about how many people are asking this kind of question. Why am I here on this earth? What am I supposed to do? What's the meaning of life? What, what's the ultimate end goal? What should we be pursuing while we're down here? And for the Christian, again, when we, we look at God's word, we, we understand that we don't just exist in and of ourselves for ourselves. We exist to know God to enjoy God, and to make him known to others. We exist to, to fulfill his plan and his purpose for our life. We don't just exist for our own life or our own pursuits. And so God's word gives us not only a definition of where the, where the starting point is, but God's word gives us a framework and a roadmap for why we're here, what we're supposed to be doing, and what the ultimate purpose of being down here is. And that then leads to the third major piece of that framework, which is morality. Okay, now that we're down here, and we, I know that we're supposed to be down here for a reason, how do we know how to operate down here? What are the rules, <laughs> right? Like in any good game, what are the rules? How do you play? And that's where morality comes into. How do we know what is right and what is wrong? How do we know the difference between good and evil? Who or what is the standard for morality? Who's to say that me punching a child is wrong? How do I know that? Who's to say that dropping a bomb somewhere on a city is right? How do we know that? Who gets to call the shots? Who gets to set the standard for what is good and right and evil or wrong? Well, again, God has given us absolute objective truth that determines what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil. And because God is the creator of all life, God is the creator of the universe, everything physical and spiritual, all of it is created by God. And as the creator then, God has the power and the authority to command his creatures and his creation in a way into which they ought to live and how they ought to operate in his creation. So because of the authority of the creator, he's able to then order creation in a way based on however he wants, because he's the creator, right? It's a very similar dynamic in our homes as parents. As the leader of my home, I have the authority over my children to say, this is right and this is wrong. You must obey me because I'm your dad. This is my home. You live with me and your mom, and we get to call the shots. You don't get to tell me what's right. I tell you what's right. In a very much bigger and more important way how much more important is it that we understand that is how the god is operating in the world today as creator and us as creature he determines morality he determines what is true and right and good but also what is wrong and evil and he tells us that the scriptures give us morality they give us objective truth to know what is good and what is wrong and again that's so important in our day and age where Our culture wants to make everything subjective, meaning that it can be different based on every person has a very different approach to morality. Typically, our world says, well, what is right for me is right for me, but what is right for you is right for you. And that logic sounds really great at first until you start to say, but what if my right is actually defined as a wrong for you? And what if it, I mean, we just, it just doesn't make any logical sense. If everyone gets to do what's right in their own eyes, you will literally have chaos and animosity across the board. And we're seeing that today. This also then plays into a fourth major part of our worldview framework, which is identity. This might be the most prevalent one in our cultural moment where people are asking the question of identity. Who am I? Like, who am I, and and what's my purpose in, in being as a person? Like, as Christians, we are created in the image of God, and so we know that that brings inherent value and dignity and purpose, called to display His goodness to the world. And as we are in a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, that changes who we are. It changes everything about us. And the chief core of our identity is our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's him who saves us, he's called us, he's redeemed us, he has adopted us into his family despite all of our mistakes and all the mess that we bring. And our purpose then is determined by his design for our life. And as little followers of Christ, he's given us very clear stated instructions about about how as Christians we're supposed to represent him to the world and how we're supposed to live as well. And in addition to that, if God is the one that created us, he created us as our the person who we are, our soul, but he also created our physical bodies. And again, this is a very important issue for us to understand in our day and age when there is a ton of confusion about our bodies and about gender and about all these things. That the world and the culture is telling us is subjective and fluid and changeable and sub- just able to be changed at a moment's whim. And even children can just pick what they want to pick. But again, we have to go back to, but what does God's word say? It says that we are made male and female. It's pretty simple for us. But again, without a Christian worldview, it's very easy to be confused and let astray. And so the Bible helps us understand our identity. Who are we? Well, we are not just people. We are image bearers of God. We are kingdom citizens called to pursue a kingdom that's bigger than this world. And that matters, and it shapes the trajectory of our lives. And then that leads then to the last piece of the framework, destiny. What happens after we die? Where are we going? Where do we go when we die? Is there an afterlife? And again, we are physical beings, but we have a soul. And that soul is actually the real part of who we are. Because when our physical bodies go into the ground and die, it's dead. But our soul lives on in eternity. We, we read about this in First Thessalonians. We read about this in Revelation. We read about it in a lot of places. That who we actually are will live for eternity. We may not have a physical body, um, but we will have a soul. And we know in the new heaven and the new earth, we will get a new physical body. And so there are two eternal destinations, though. That there is a destiny beyond this world. There is a destiny beyond the earth. Whenever it ends, whether King Jesus comes back or we die physically, there are only two eternal destinations. And the Bible gives us instructions about that. It's heaven or it's hell. And God, again, has provided a way for mankind to be spared the torments of hell through placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. And so it's important that we understand destiny and how we help our culture and how we understand how to talk about destiny with our culture, that we will all spend eternity somewhere, either in the presence of Jesus or in hell. And a relationship with Jesus is the only way out of that. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so origin, meaning, morality, identity, Destiny. These are the core questions or the core components that make up a Christian worldview, that make up any worldview, really. But the Christian perspective that comes through the lens of Scripture answers those questions in the most profoundly truthful and helpful and logical way. And so, this might be a lot to process. You may not even be interested in this. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing of these types of concepts. So, I just want to ask you and encourage you to reflect. Is your worldview either being shaped by the Bible or has it been shaped by the Bible or has it been shaped by something else? Stop and think. When you think about origin and meaning and identity and morality and destiny, do you answer those questions with a biblical answer? Do you look at everything in our world today, everything, through the lens of what God has already said about it? You see, 2 Timothy um, 3.16 is such a profound and helpful verse. It says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So again, I read that because to remind us that God's word is divine. It's divine. And when you study any other worldview stuff, whether you're reading Richard Dawkins or you're reading Joseph Smith or you're reading Buddha or Muhammad, you're not reading divine books. You're only reading man-made, man-written books that do not contain divine revelation. And so this book does. And so if this book is superior to all books, well, then this is the book then that we should have shaping our thoughts about politics, about marriage, about about sex and gender and identity, about money, about our career, about the environment, about church, about religion, anything you could think of. This book has divine wisdom to offer. And are we allowing the truth of this book to shape our minds so that when we look at the world, we're looking through the lens of scripture and that we actually have a biblical thought and a biblical worldview, a biblical perspective about the things in the world? If not, I want to challenge you to read your Bible daily, to pick it up from Genesis to Revelation, to read the whole thing every year, to really saturate your mind in what God's Word has to say, to let all of it soak in. Yes, some of it's hard. Yes, some of it's confusing. And some of the parts may not always seem to fit together, but I promise they do because it's one unified book written by one author, pointing to one rescuer, King Jesus. The whole thing whispers his name. The whole book is about him. Um, And so it's all important. In addition to that, maybe you want to pick up some books about biblical worldview. Maybe systematic theology. Maybe even apologetics. All of these things have layers to them that all go back to God's word. And I'd be happy to talk more with you about that if you want to get equipped in that area. But then the second thing that you want to think about is not only are you having a biblical worldview, but are you helping to shape the worldview of your kids and your grandkids or others that you're discipling? What kind of worldview do they have? And again, this goes back to the sermon series about parents. You have the most potential to have the most spiritual impact on kids. Grandkids, same thing. But if they are not being shaped with a biblical worldview because of wherever their environment is, then that's a problem. Again, we have to exercise the influence we have. So if they're in the school system for 16,000 hours of their life and they're being taught secular worldview, that there is no God and that evolution is the way that we all came, that there is no eternity, that there is no spiritual reality to this life, if they're constantly being bombarded with that worldview, it's going to be more challenging for those kids who grow up in church and we only have 2,000 hours of influence going to be challenging for us to overcome that kind of influence. But parents, you have 54,000 hours of influence. So if you're combating that at home and taking them to church, then you've got 56,000 hours of influence pointing to the truth of God's word as the main lens through which we see life. So um, the other thing that I want to encourage you parents is, and this is kind of the last thing I'll say before I wrap up, there is a lot of fear that I sense in the Christian community when it comes to parenting our kids today. I am a parent of a 12 year old and a five year old. Uh, We homeschool our kids, that's an intentional choice. I'm not saying it's the best choice because every situation is different, but we homeschool them on purpose because we want to have all of the influence we possibly can on our kids. And we know that our influence will always be better than any school because we are God's design for our kids it works for us by God's grace. It, it's it's worked out where my wife can stay home. I know that that's nuanced and it's not the best situation for everybody. It may not work for everybody, so it's okay. But the reality is this: we should never be scared or in fear that the world is going to indoctrinate our children with their secular ideologies, as if we are not going to notice. Uh, for example. Um, I saw a picture on social media this week of someone who went into Barnes & Noble, which is a bookstore, and they took a picture of the kids' bookshelf or the kids' wall at Barnes & Noble, and every single book on the bookshelf was a uh, pride-related book, you know, with the rainbow flag and two boys hugging or two girls kissing and all these things that are all related to just complete pagan gender confusion, just craziness, right? And the caption above this, which was coming from a a conservative point of view, was, parents, wake up. They're coming after your children, which is a very like fear-mongering, fear-inducing kind of a post, right? Like, oh my goodness, they're coming after your kids. Look at these books. Run, hide, or let's take down Barnes & Noble and go protest. And I don't know what the right answer for that is for you, but when I read that, I just want to challenge you to think critically for a second. The only way that my five-year-old is going to get a book like that is if I take her in my car, drive her to Barnes and Noble, go into the store, buy the book with my own money, go back in my car, drive home to my house, and let my daughter read that book. That's never going to happen. So I don't quite understand the fear that a lot of us have, even though the culture is going crazy, yes, and even though the culture is going 150 miles an hour down this direction, and yeah, they are targeting our kids, but let's step back for a second and use some critical thinking. The only way that they're going to get to my kids is if they have to go through me. If I'm proactive, if I'm aware, if I understand what's going on, and if I'm actually paying attention to the things that are influencing my children, There's not a chance they're going to see a book like that, right? And so parents, don't panic. Don't live in fear. Be proactive about shaping your kids' worldview. If you have your kids in a school and you don't like the influence your school has, then you have the opportunity, the privilege, and I would say the responsibility to make some kind of a change to make that situation better for your kids. Parents, hear me on this. The only way your children are going to be indoctrinated and led astray by secular ideologies is if you allow it to happen. That's the only way. If you are passive, yeah, it's going to happen. If you're checked out and you're just going to send your kids to school and you don't even talk about anything, you never ask them what they're learning, you don't look into their curriculum, you don't know who their friends are, well then why would you be surprised if that happens? But I know most of you are not in that boat. So let's just step back. Let's not let the culture um, get us riled up into fear and worry and anxiety. Let's be diligent. Let's be vigilant. Let's be the primary spiritual influence of our kids, our grandkids, and the other people we disciple. Let's lead with courage. Let's tackle these topics head on. Let's possess a Christian worldview ourselves. Let's teach others to have a biblical worldview themselves. And let's lead our children in a way where they see all of life through the lens of God's word. And let's not be afraid to talk about what God's word says is true, even if it offends the culture. God's word is true regardless of how people feel about it. And we should never be ashamed of the gospel. We should never be ashamed of the truth. And so parents, um, let's shape the worldview of our kids. Let's shape the worldview of our church. Let's be biblical people. Let's be Bible people. And I believe if we do that, um, that'll be what faithfulness looks like in this, in this cultural moment. Staying true to God's word regardless of the cost. And let's be people who protect our kids and grandkids by being proactive, not passive. And so hopefully that's encouraging to you regardless of where you are. A worldview is something that's applicable to every believer. So even if you don't have kids, um, r- wrestle with what your worldview looks like. Maybe you've got some weaknesses in it. Maybe you've got some areas you've never really worked on. I'd say let's work on them. So that's the spiritual um, insight for today or the spiritual focus for today. I hope that's helpful. Um, Let's pray and I'll let you get on with your day. Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to pour into the church today through this video. I do pray that it's helpful. I pray that they would have courage and confidence and clarity about what your word says about all of life. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to learn the Bible well, to learn how it applies to everything in our life, and that we would be unashamed of what it says, and that we would be bold and courageous about the truth in it, and that it would lead us and guide us in this cultural moment to be, to be godly, to be wise, to be grace-filled truth speakers, that are um, gentle and respectful, yet unashamed of the good truth that you have given to us. Thank you, God, for giving us your truth. May we live in alignment with it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you on Sunday.